This isn't Oprah. I'm not Oprah. I know, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't think anybody really is Oprah, but I'm definitely not Oprah. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> no, not yet. You not could yet. be like not the yet. Oprah of animation. This is The Sparkcast, a bi-weekly show where we explore the creativity, technology, and business of CG. I'm your host, Marina Antunes. Fleming is a prolific filmmaker, visual artist, and storyteller who has spent the bulk of her career exploring themes of history, family, and memory, both her own and others. Be it the powerful short film You Take Care Now, which explores the trauma she had experienced as a young woman, or the feature film The Magical Life of Long Tuck Sam, which explores the life of a great-grandfather, or perhaps the adventures of Stick Girl, Anne-Marie has long shared personal stories with the world, or perhaps we should call them personal constructs. We recently spoke with the artist about her inspiration, creativity, and why she continues to tell and explore deeply personal stories in her art. Here's my conversation with Anne-Marie Fleming. How are you doing? Oh my goodness. Well, um... I'm doing okay. I think like everybody else, um, it's, uh, it's been a really long year and um, it's really hard to stay creative, you know? I, I, I can certainly relate. So yeah. I haven't been writing nearly as much as I usually do. And even the movies aren't really helping. Every once in a while, I'm like, I'm going to watch this. It's going to make me feel better. And it doesn't. I know. Well, you know, oddly, it's when we were given hope. you know it's sort of like oh yes you know there's vaccines now and we're going to turn this around and and uh for some reason just the whole conversation uh got more fraught you know uh people's responses became more polarized and and all of these you know all these other issues about you know inequalities mm-hmm. and how long will this last and it lasts longer here but you know these people are I, I don't know what it is but the conversation is just just mind-numbing no I I, I can relate for sure um I, I kind of did want to start with uh, you know Anne-Marie as a kid and kind of what were you what you were into growing up I I know that you're a child of immigrants and you came to, to Canada very young I'm also a child of immigrants I came to Canada a little bit later than you did but uh, like I was a bit older I was almost 10 but I I I I always kind of feel like I relate to people that kind of ha- know firsthand that that um, relationship with parents that come from a different place and they have different values and a different culture and how oh you sort God. of navigate navigate that. Oh and I God. wanted to find out about that from you. Like, what okay. was that experience like with you? I don't know if this is the way to start, but I was just listening to the CBC this morning and they had the actress that played Maria on Sesame Street for 44 years. Mm. Um, And I'm sorry, I don't remember her name, Sonia. And uh, she was talking about how when she came on the show and she was getting all these letters about how how much her character um, meant to people, she realized the power of television and how, I don't know if you can relate to this, but you come from a world of very different values, you know, and... um, and she was talking about how 
she came from a very challenging and chaotic um, childhood and seeing these characters on screen, you know, on the little screen um, helped to ground her and give her hope, you know, that uh, things could be better. Right. And I think that for, for immigrants, um, children of immigrants um, where you're, you're thrown into a different culture um, you're, which has a, a lot of pluses and a lot of minuses. Like there's a lot of changes and I think there's always conflict even more so with, um, with your parents, you know, and with older generations. Right. I think um, it's, you know, it's part of growing up anyway, but I think for sure it's exacerbated by the immigrant experience. I mean, would you agree? Oh yeah, for sure. Oh my, you know, and and usually when people say, you know, tell me about your upbringing, I like to stay on the happy side of the streets, you know, and talk about all my interests and you know, but uh, but this this interview um, really made me remember. Yeah, it was really tough. It was really tough. Um, and of course, when you're young, you don't you don't understand the struggles that your parents are going through and the culture shock that they're dealing with. Um, but certainly for for little for little guys, it's it's hard. Oh yeah, definitely. And, and do, do you find that, I know that you went to school, to UBC and you graduated with um, a, an English degree? And I'm very generalizing here, mm-hmm. but I, I find that uh, immigrant parents are always very. Uh, pragmatic like you need to be you need to be like a doctor or an engineer Mm -hmm. or something that will give you a career so you can do better for yourself than we did for us this Uh is the opportunity we're giving you so I'm curious was that some of the pressure that you felt as well am I a failure (laughs) (laughs) that's the other question are we failures I don't know yeah let's say that I started off in pre-med right? I had all my STEMs, I had all my sciences. I was in pre-med, but I couldn't pass calculus. So then I was in pre-law and um, that didn't work out. <laughs> so so it's interesting that my, my family, I mean, they're very creative, very artistic. My mom was like a pianist and a and a painter and my my grandfather like a photographer and also a beautiful pianist like a lot of music a lot of art but that's always hobby right mm. so um i don't think anybody was very excited that i was getting a liberal arts degree so it it was tough like yeah i didn't take the road um that i was expected to and uh no i didn't really get um i didn't really get a lot of encouragement that let's put it that way um, so, and I think everybody, I mean, they're very, you know, I don't know, proud of me or whatever, but, uh, it's hard to say that as a middle-aged woman, <laughs> but, but I think they're still confused as to how I make a living. <laughs> um, so you, 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 you graduate from UBC and then you take some time to do some traveling. It seems to be the thing that we do when you finish school. We want to kind of get to learn ourselves and learn something new. Um, was that the motivation for, for your travels to sort of figure out what you wanted to do next? Well, I didn't do what everybody does now. I didn't do that gap here. You know, I was going to go right through with my studies and then um, I left uh, UBC pretty sure that I was going to be a novelist in Greece. That was the idea, that I was going to pursue that life, the life of the artist. And um, 
you know, some pretty traumatic things happened in my travels. And uh, I decided that I was going to go back home. And um, I started uh, actually being an artisan. I was doing some stand-up comedy. I was doing a little bit of theater sports. I was hand-painting T-shirts and umbrellas and making handmade jewelry. And I was going to these craft, um, you know, craft fairs. And after about a year of this, I just thought, oh, my God, this is too hard. And um, I saw that they were taking applications for, uh, you know, at Emily Carr. And I had been to this uh, program of short films, these uh, short animated films. And I saw this film study of an apartment by Martin Rose. And I went, oh, my God, that's so fantastic. And it was like I'd never seen this before. It was um, Pixelation. It was um, I don't know. Do you know that film? It's I don't a, know that film, no. It's a, it's a lonely woman who's making a cup of tea, and she's made of paper. And when I saw that tea bag infuse in paper and watercolor, I was just entranced, and I wanted to go to Emily Carr. Um, I'd taken a little bit of film, a Super 8 course when I was at UBC, but I really didn't feel like film was the way to go for me. But then some things happened when I traveled. Um, there's some dreams that I had. And when I was in England, um, in the middle of a night, a seagull fell on my head. I know you think this is, um, I'm being tangential here, but then I saw a Z in two knots by Peter Greenway and mm -hmm. a lot of images in my dreams. And that it happened to me, it starts with Swan coming down and killing these, uh, twin pregnant women who are in a car. And it so happened that I was having this crazy obsession with twins in fact i i carried out a poster of diane arbus's twins and i had pictures of me doubled on the poster like i was crazy i was crazy obsessed with twins and um i didn't show them to everybody but um i thought oh my god i want to go into film and then i saw animation as a way of maybe with my my um my sort of my process and my temperament of um something that i could do and then I saw um, the Emily Carr grad show at the year. I mean, this would have been 85. And I saw Wendy Tilby's uh, tables of content or content. Uh, you know, we never really, she never really decided how you could say it. Um, and I thought, this is amazing. And I wrote this letter about how much I admired this person and what a great opportunity to go to the school. And it was really my letter that got me in because I am not an amazing animator. I, 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 don't, I don't buy that for a second. <laughs> well, if you, mean, if you mean an animator who actually animates, you know, no, I mean, my I think I'm a great storyteller and I think I'm a, I'm a really good filmmaker and um, you know, I, I'm a visual artist, but um, I would say that I love, it took me many, many years before I started working with other artists, you know, before I would open myself up to that. And that is like the best thing in the world for me is to be able to work with people who, whose skills and talent and artistry can just elevate what I could do myself, you know? Uh, it's really, it's really humbling and um, the the funnest bit of making films. So, so you decide to go to school for animation. Mm. Um, I can't remember where it was, but you talked a little bit in the past about the decision to take to make you take care now, which isn't your first film, but it's it's your like your second film. It's very very early on, mm. um, and it's a very personal film. And you talk a little bit about how 
um, the difficulty that you had in in deciding whether you you should make it or not because it was such an important film to make, but you thought it might end your career before it even started. <laughs> How do you even start to process that? A- and what was it that ultimately led you to make the film? Well, you know, like I was talking to you um, in an earlier conversation, uh, all I wanted to do when I went into animation was to make small educational superstitials, uh, interstitials, I'm sorry, superstitials. I'm superstitious. They're interstitials. Okay. So like, uh, you know, a dream would be to make one of those little shorts on Sesame Street. I was really affected by, you know, Multiplication Rock, Schoolhouse Rock, all those um, films from the 70s. And I learned a lot from them. Um, So that was the direction I thought I was going in, sort of cute and educational, right? And then I, um, to put myself through school, I was actually an operator. I was O at what was called BCTEL at the time. And I met this woman who told me this crazy story about her life. And um, I really, really wanted to film her. And um, she was a survivor of a murder-suicide attempt by her ex-fiance. And um, it was such a... Uh, obviously personal um, political story that I felt that I had to prove to her um, that I, that I wasn't just being a voyeur, that I was able to put myself on the line, that I'd be willing to say the most personal things about myself and, and to show her um, the way that I could, would do it. So I felt I had to um, put up, right so that she would she would trust me and have respect for me and know that i respected her story and so then i um my first film uh was waving which was um it was really a very spontaneous reaction to my grandmother dying at the uh, end of my first year as an animation student and she was really the, the biggest thing in my life. And uh, I still miss her horribly. It's been like, you know, almost 35 years later. Um, uh, and then this, this, and that film actually is in You Take Care Now. It's the static in the middle of the film, you know, oh. and it's, so it's really the three big things at that point in my life. Um, it was, uh, you know, when I went to Europe, I, you know, I was, I, I just got into a whole bunch of, trouble um and i was uh, raped and and assaulted i mean the film doesn't even touch what actually happened (laughs) and then my grandmother died and then i was hit and run over by a couple of cars and this all happened in a very short period of time in a you know in a person's life and so um i i i just wanted to put this out there as acknowledgement that you could say hard things and you could say them in a way that people could hear them and um and that you didn't have to be uh you know we just sort of live in a culture of of blame if something happened there's a reason why it happened right and i wanted to just do this about acknowledgement that we could share things about ourselves to each other and we could talk about them and because this is what it is these are human experiences. We can talk about being human and, um, 
and we can understand more about ourselves. And, you know, being an immigrant, being mixed race, this, I know this sounds crazy, but you don't know from looking at me what my history is, right? You can make assumptions on uh, what you see, but uh, I'm, I'm not what you see. I am what I've lived. And so um, that's, that's sort of my whole that's sort of my whole deal with um, my my storytelling and my filmmaking. Um, we we are who we've lived, and we have to share stories with each other. One of the things that you've touched on a couple of things there that I think are really interesting. One of the things that I wanted to kind of uh, pinpoint because I don't think it's obvious, totally obvious, if people haven't seen um, a lot of your projects and kind of know the timeline. But you made uh, you take care now at a time where the Me Too movement was non-existent. There was not an open conversation about these issues. Uh, this was like the late 80s, early 90s. What was um, the experience of like you share this very personal story hmm. um, that clearly resonates with people, but in a way that maybe wasn't uh, publicly accepted in the way that it is now? Um, did you ever find that there was like, I don't want to say added pressure, but did you ever feel like there was like a responsibility now that you carried as a voice for this, like maybe even a generation of women? You know, I didn't know that it was really like a, a revolutionary kind of gesture. It's just like, uh, you know, I don't speak for immigrant people. I just speak for my own experience. I don't speak for, you know, survivors of trauma. I just speak for my own experience. And, um, uh, I didn't see the bigger picture. What was so interesting was that it did go to a lot of festivals. It won like all of these awards. Like it was such a personal film. I really did not think that it would have uh, an audience. That's not why I made it. And um, <laughs> I know that's my audience was really one person in particular, right? And that was the woman that I wanted to make this film about. And um, it was incredible. Men and women, the responses, people would come up to me and say, men would say that it gave them that because I just, I dealt with it in terms of violence, right? Like I, I put a rape and a car accident together, uh, which would you think have nothing to do with each other, but they are a violent trauma to your physical and a mental and mental being. And I didn't work that out. I'm not a, a psychologist or anything like this. It was just, it was just as an artist, I felt that these two things belong together. As a person, my experience of them was not dissimilar. And I remember being at this women's film festival, you know, they're just starting to have women's film festivals there and just starting to have festivals of, you know, for BIPOC. And people would say, well, that seems pretty crazy that these two things would happen to you. And I said, no. It isn't. And I got the audience, mainly women. I said, how many people have been raped? All these hands went up, right? And went, how many people have been struck by a vehicle? All these hands went up, right? And people just started laughing because they had no idea that 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 their experiences were not unusual experiences, you know? And that's mm -hmm. why we have to keep conversations open. Is that I'm not saying that I am um special by my experiences i'm saying that we we sh we share them i have something in common with you that maybe you'd like to know one of the things that i think is so amazing that comes through in all of your work even the most personal and most dramatic like this um 
is the sense of not comedy, but just the levity of it. Like everything kind of has this, you have a, an amazing sense of humor and you kind of use humor to um, really get at some of these like really dark and, and um, mm-hmm. um, trying emotions. I, I'm, I'm curious why you, you never really pursued stand-up more because I think you would have been an amazing stand-up comedian. Oh my God. Well, you know, I have crazy stories that give me, oh my, I just, my heart starts beating when I can tell you about some of my early days experiences and stand-up. Oh my God. So tough, Marina. So tough. Um, but I mean, I use humor as a way to let people get closer to hard subjects, right? It lets people feel safe. It opens them up. And once you can laugh, you can hear. And um, I realize now too, that I've always used it as a bit of a coping mechanism when things get difficult. And I guess I've had that since I was a little kid. And there's nothing I like more than making people laugh. And um, which I don't always do. But stand up is then was not stand up now, like I wanted to go into it, because um, you know, I took um, a little bit in my English literature degree. I did. I read a lot of plays, and one of the plays was by Erica Ritter, a Canadian playwright, and it was called Automatic Writing, and it was about this uh, this uh, woman who was a stand-up, and um, it really, really intrigued me. And I thought, oh, I can do that, and it was just tough, like not just tough of putting yourself out there in front of an audience. But it was it was a great way to write and see how if your material was hitting at all. Um, but um, for women, there weren't that many women at that time, and I found the humor very self-deprecating. Like I didn't, even though I I am actually personally self-deprecating, I didn't want to put that out there in the world as a persona. Um, you know, I wanted to um, to be stronger than that, and. Uh, um, but you know, it didn't mean that at the end of the road, you were going to get a talk show or a Netflix special, you know, it meant that, uh, you were going to go and hit little bars all over small town, British Columbia in, you know, and I'm allergic to smoke. So that wouldn't have worked very well because you could still smoke inside then. And it would have just been, um, that kind of life. And I decided I, I didn't want to do it. And I went back to school. Well, I think animation is better for it, to be totally honest. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. You you don't know. You know you know not of what you speak. <laughs> okay, so um I let's talk a little bit about new shoes, which is so amazing. I I watched it for the first time earlier this week, and then I watched it again this morning because there is just something I, I I don't even know. Like, I, I can see why somebody would be fascinated to tell that woman's story as soon as you hear it. But the way that you handle it um, and, and the animation uh, throughout that five-minute short is just so amazing. Can you talk a little bit about conceptualizing how to tell that story uh, in five minutes <laughs> and, and to do justice by it? It's so interesting. It, well, thank you for going into the vault, Marina. And, um, so, but, uh, yeah, New Shoes is a, a super powerful film and I wanted to tell this story as a feature and I did make a feature called New Shoes and Little New Shoes is called New Shoes, an interview in exactly five minutes. Mm-hmm. And, um, I got a Canada Council grant to make the feature and, um, Rena Fraticelli, who was head of NFB Studio D, they had a woman's studio called Studio D back then, uh, to celebrate uh, an anniversary, they were 
doing this uh, series called uh, Five Feminist Minutes, where they wanted mm-hmm. snapshots uh, from women all across the country, five minute snapshots. And she said, well, why don't you apply? And I said, oh, I don't have to apply. I'm doing a feature, right? And she goes, oh, why don't you apply anyway? So I did. So what's interesting, and I think um, the feature totally saved the short film's ass um, in some weird way, is I was doing a very long, nuanced exploration of all the issues that I saw in this story of my friend, right? And so I didn't have, I didn't put any of that pressure on the five-minute film. The five-minute film could be whatever it was supposed to be. Um, I really liked the idea that there was a, a very specific time because I thought that um, that was another level of violence, like the tyranny of of media, of timeframes. And uh, I always, you know, I get these ideas. Films come to me in different ways. Like sometimes it's visually, sometimes it's emotionally, sometimes it's structurally. Uh, sometimes it's thematically. And in this case, I saw this horrific story about this woman getting gunned down um, as something that we have to put a buffer between that and ourselves. It's like an article that you read. It happens to someone else or believes it, it lives in this land of myth and make-believe, right? It's uh, It's a story. It's not a person. And so what I did was I, you know, the animation is um, me dressed up like this, you know, fairy tale princess, um, lopping around, you know, jumping up and down and having a grand old time. And actually the the glass that's moving around with it, it is broken shards of glass. I was um, walking uh, downtown one day and I saw all of this broken glass on the side of the road. Somebody's car had window had been smashed open. And I thought, oh, what a great metaphor, all of these spiky pieces of glass. And, um, you know, I put Gay, the interview subject, in my kitchen with my family's, um, you know, it's actually my great grandfather's um, tea set, you know, um, I had some dishes in the back. And I wanted to put her in a very, very um, uh, domestic environment, my kitchen. Right. So to bring it really home, that it was an idea that was both out there and in storyland, but also it was a kitchen sink. Um, it was a kitchen sink issue. And as you can see, Marina, this is, this is a film that I made, you know, over 30 years ago. And I feel this I feel like this connected to everything that I've ever made. I know exactly why I made it. I know exactly how I felt when I was making it. And I know exactly all the choices that I made that did or did not work out. And when I laugh at the end of that film, you know, because what struck me so much when Gay was telling the story to me was that she was, she had a lot of levity. She had a lot of distance between uh, herself and um, what had happened to her. Uh, she told it over and over again. It's very funny. I actually have a transcript that I'm holding in the interview, uh, uh, right? And and I correct her when she goes off her script. And that was, you know, like my meta media comment or whatever. But um, she was telling the story to the crew. The crew was just, I mean, they were they were just aghast, right? They were, like nobody breathed the whole time she was talking. And I felt that I really had to interject, right? And so the time when she responds to me and tells me that I'm inappropriate, 
I felt that um, structurally that was the only time that she got any agency as a person, that instead of me just turning on the camera and telling her to talk, that she actually got to talk back. And it's interesting because that makes the filmmaker look kind of not nice. And it is um, a point of discussion when this, you know, has been shown. And, and it is shown a lot, like in high schools, even not in media studies, but in gender, you know, gender studies, things like this. And a lot of people get quite offended. And that opens up the conversation. So it's pretty, pretty cool. Oh, yeah, no, it's amazing. And you know what you actually touch on it when you were talking about this uh, where you get your inspiration from and how it comes from all of these these different places in all of these different ways and how you kind of mix how you start to sort of put ideas together to to form your stories um and you mentioned that you know film was not you didn't think film was for you, but when you saw animation, you knew that was your thing. But you haven't totally shied away from film either. You have made um, some, you know, film. You're seeing all these things. You're reading all these things. You're feeling these emotions. How do you sort of start to um, process what will actually become perhaps one of your short films? Well, I wish I had a, you know, program. <laughs> but I but I don't. And I am, you know, I do other things like uh, I'm a great cook. I like, I, you know, I paint, I play music. I, I, uh, I, I do, I have other, I have other expressions, you know, like I'm a political person. So um, it's not like, I'm, I'm not like a, a journalist thinking of ideas, right? Like what would be an interesting story? In fact, I, I find it really hard to do that. Like things come to me and they have different expressions and sometimes they are films. And, um, you know, like the thing about the short film, and I guess what's interesting is that I continue to make short films. Uh, I like short films. They've never been a stepping stone to something else. And that's one of the great things about animation because animation still reveres the short form, right? Mm -hmm. um, so... And I love films, right? I love live action films. I um, love mainstream storytelling. I don't always do that myself. Um, when I said the film wasn't for me, I didn't like. Um, I didn't like some of the cast characters. I didn't like. I didn't like uh, the hierarchy of film, right? I liked, uh, um, even though film is very collaborative. Um, I didn't like what I was exposed to as a young student. I realized that um, there are many, many, many different ways that you can make a film. Um, and I liked the, her you know, the hermetic quality of uh, animation, at least at a student level. And, you know, obviously I'm pre-digital, right? So it's, you do it, you do it all yourself. And um, that's been great. I mean, that's obviously uh, influenced the way I think about everything um being intimately um educated in every every aspect of the filmmaking process uh, one of the things i do love about uh some of your early films you have you've you've posted quite a few of them on your um vimeo page and i had such a blast looking at them especially your little stick girl animations which are so so wonderful and a lot oh. of them kind of feel like um, sort of like the spur of the moment, like you had this idea of something that you just had to get out 
And so you yeah, made just, this just had to get out. And several years later, there it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so this is the thing. Like, can you talk yeah. a little bit about that process? Yeah. You know, you have this feeling. Um, like, I'm thinking about like some of the ones like I love to work or I, I think it's called yes. I love my job. Like, like that seems like such a in the moment kind of yes. feeling that you would have. But that animation doesn't happen overnight. So can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, I'm so glad you asked me about Stick Girl. Okay, so I was hit and run over by two cars, you know, my second year of animation. And um, I couldn't walk. I couldn't do anything except basically sleep. I, I had no energy. People were trying to get me to drop out of art school. They said, you know, you should really just be on a beach and you, you'll never walk again. And I had just, I had worked so hard to be where I was. And I was not, I was not going to quit. And um, during spring break, I, um, I came up with Stick Girl because she was all the strength I had, right? She was the simplest thing that I could do and still make films. I wasn't even animating. Um, I wasn't doing drawn animation at that time. I was doing everything under camera. You can see from, you know, You Take Care Now, which I made after, um, you know, I do a lot of in-camera, under-camera rostrum work. So yes, I did the story of my whole life in 80 seconds, and it took me two weeks to draw. And it is true. I mean, for animation, that's like, that is like a gesture. You know, it's a very, very short period of time. And um, I, I love her. Like, she's sort of, we've made tons of films together. We've made webisodes together. We've had a We've had an iPhone app, you know, and um, she's who I go back to when I just have a little idea. There's a lot of more complicated films that I wasn't able to get support for, like financial support, or or I found that I couldn't work in the way that I'd hoped to. Um, and I just I just go, well, how would Stick Girl deal with this? And um, she's yeah, so she's she's really fun, and it's so funny that you know all those years later, thirty years after. You know, her birth, um, you know, she got to do a, a feature film. She got to be like the lead in a feature that's filled with people that don't look like her, you know, like she and I just went, oh, my God, like, this is amazing. And she's voiced by Sandra Oh. And so it really tells you what a little, you know, what a little girl can do. I think that's fascinating because. I think somewhere else you'd mentioned, you know, now so many people associate Stick Girl with Sandra Oh, but when I look at Stick Girl, I still see Anne-Marie. I, I, I see the short films and I see sort of the, the, the this fun kind of irreverent, smarty pants, really bright, really uh, energetic young woman that it, like lives in those short films and and I, I to me it's all the same and I kind of think am I mourning the death of stick girl as we knew her oh no this is so funny you know she's just taking a break right she has to take a break because she has to reinvent herself because she's always been me and I actually when I approached Sandra because Sandra and I go way back I said could you be me right could you be me? And, you know, Stick Girl um, and having all these other animators move her, because I think that movement is very personal, right? Like when you see in my little Stick Girl films, you see me, that's my hand. Like those are my decisions, right? And that's my movement. And so, you know, for people who aren't as conversant in my oeuvre as you are now, Marina, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't notice that, right? And 
And when I when I see my films, oh my God, the early films like You Take Care Now and New Shoes and all the stick girl films, I go, who was that brave person? Who was that brave person who made those films, who said those things? And Stick Girl is so much funnier than I am. She's so cheeky, you know. She's so irreverent, as you said. And uh, and she's so smart, and nothing gets her down. And she's kind of like that in Window Horses, too, is that she's this little, little thing that nothing, nothing can um, deter her, you know? She's on her mission, and she's going to get there. And um, I know that I made her and I made those films, but I never feel like that person. I never feel that strong or that sure or that or that uh, accessible to others. You know, like part of the beauty of Window Horse is that she people are so nice to her. Right. She's so different than everybody. It, rep- you know, she her her simplicity represents her difference, but it also represents her ability to be anything. Right. And so um, she will live again. She will there will be more stick girl. But uh, but yeah, Sandra, it's, it's so funny. The first time she, you know, almost the first time she has a voice and certainly the first time she has this large uh, an audience. Um, she's 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 not me. She's not my voice. But um, that's why people came. Right. People, people, people came for Sandra. I can't. That's just that's just true. She helped amplify. Uh, my story so much. I'm really grateful to her. Um, one of the things that I, I realized watching uh, so many of your films over the years, but mostly in the last couple of weeks in preparation was how personal all of your filmmaking is um, and how um, there aren't a lot of filmmakers that, that that work the way you do, where you take so many uh, of your personal feelings and even, you know, personal stories, stories of your family, and those sort of become the central parts of your storytelling. Is that difficult? Is that hard? How you kind of decide what uh, is okay to share with others and what you want to keep for yourself? And if you ever have that sort of now, even today, if you still have that kind of fight where you're still trying to decide what things you don't want to share with people, what you want to keep for yourself. Oh, my God. Well, A, first, you know, my films are personal, but they're not confessionals. They are mm-hmm. constructions, right? Mm-hmm. And yes, I struggle. I have always struggled. And I struggle even more now. But what is okay? And what what is it in aid of? Right. And when you're dealing with uh, other people's stories, too, or other people's representations, even if they are fictional, I take that as a huge responsibility. You know, and I'm dealing with uh, I often deal with my family um, living or dead. And uh, I'm always I am asking permission. I, I do have them sitting there. I do wonder, am I doing them justice? Um, there's so much that I don't that I don't say that I, that I won't say. Um, and, uh, I like to present things. As I said, my work is about acknowledgement. It's not about, it's not about blame. It's not about victimhood. Um, it's about sharing experience. And so, um, I want to, I want to make sure that even though it's personal, that I, I'm able to step away from it and see it as, um, see it with a little bit of objectivity if that you know if that's even possible in the creative process i'm not sure that it is but oh my god it's so painful these films <laughs> these films except for stick girl films um except for stick girl herself 
they're they're all extremely difficult and extremely painful for me i have to say i have to say so why do you keep doing it i couldn't tell you (laughs) it's a compulsion it really is a compulsion and thank god you know my mind does not is not illegal that um i'm able to um well you know i could see myself not doing it one day um or never stopping um it's just uh you know i was born in a good time where um where film and now you know media in general is a dominant and very accessible art form it's so weird i mean because i came from analog digital world every every frame that i'm creating in digital i realize that it it's just so ephemeral and uh you know one little asteroid and you know or a little sunspot and it could just all disappear so it, it's like it's like i'm spending my whole life making performance art in a way right it just lives on digital media right now and that's just kind of like uh you know, a metaphor for life. That's all we are. We're just like performance artists. When we're gone, the field event, the field of event will still exist, but we won't, you know? So, um, so, you know, why do I make films? Like, why, why do I get up? Right. It's just, um, it's what I'm doing while I'm here. Wow. That's so, that, that's so powerful. It really is. And it's so inspiring as well. Um, we started by talking about, this idea of staying motivated and you're, you're prolific. You you make films, you're always working. Um, And I'm curious about what the, you know, the before times, what it looked like for you to stay inspired, what you did to, to continue to stay inspired and stay motivated and how that's changed over the last year. If it's changed at all, maybe it hasn't, you know, it's been really hard and I've talked to other artists and, and for a lot of people, it's, it's been very hard to be creative and be productive and stay motivated during this pandemic. And for me, I came off of uh, several years really of promoting window horses, doing a lot of hard travel. Uh, I had a concussion during that time and I, I, I've spent a lot of time recovering from that, like doing a lot of proactive recovery um, it's changed the way I uh, can approach things, uh, it, or I think it does. Like it, it, it knocked away my confidence for quite a bit. And luckily for me, I got like a gig. I got a writing gig right at the beginning of the pandemic, and um, you know my first professional animation writing gig. <laughs> and um, and I was uh, bouncing ideas off, uh, you know, other people, and um, that was a, a great way to start. And um, I had development funding for a couple of um, features that I'm working on. One is live action with some animation, and one is actually uh, all animated. Um, it's Shanghai Follies. I've been working on this forever. Like we're talking decades. Um, the story, which is based on uh, my great grandfather's. Uh, well, it's it's not his story; it's my grandmother's story. But but he was a traveling Chinese vaudevillian acrobat and magician. I did an animated doc called "The Magical Life of Long Tex Sam" quite a few years ago. I don't know if you saw that. I did. But anyway, I've just been living with them. I've been living with ghosts all year, and I've been living with their lives. And um, part of why I wanted to tell their story back, you know, almost twenty years ago when I started this, 
was I just thought that where they were, the early 30s was so much like how we were. And it just continues to be more and more like that, that we are living the same problems, the same lives, the wars, the pandemics, the fascism, the intolerance, you know, the xenophobia, um, the the uh, this also incredible new technologies, incredible, you know, strides in, in different art forms. Like we are the same people, right? And so I'm, I'm sort of living my trauma and their trauma at the same time all year. And, um, and also I'm approached, you know, by people for different projects. I'm, I'm trying to actually do a little of my own animation now, uh, working with this, um, this music ensemble, I don't know how I'm doing. I'm really struggling. I'm going back to, you know, digital and, and trying to relearn programs when I've been working with other artists for so long. I, uh, I, you know, I, I took an ASL class on zoom, you know, like, uh, I, I'm always, I'm always learning. I'm always studying. I'm always the beginner. I'm always feeling like I'm at the beginning. Right. So, um, you know, I wouldn't say it's a way to keep myself humble. It's more like a way of keep myself like, oh my God, I suck. Like I spend so much time thinking that I suck. But then just like looking back at all the work, you're going, but I just keep showing up, you know? So uh, I, I miss people a lot, you know? I'm lucky that I have a partner and I'm not spending um, a lot of my time uh, solo. I don't know how people are doing with that. Um, but I just know that like everything, like everybody I have, I got low times during this, um, during this, uh, really hard time we're all sharing. And, uh, and I do have, I still have spurts, still have spurts of excitement and creativity and doing things like this, Marina, like being in touch or having people care about what I do or what I say or what I think, like, it's such an honor. Like it's one of the pleasures of being an artist is that uh, you know we all have these stories and we all we all we all have things of interest to say and experiences and ideas but you know like those of us who are brave enough to put it out there because a lot of people just tell you that you suck and that they don't like it or blah 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 but but for those for, for an excuse to come and have a conversation about about life about living about what it is to be human like that's just the best, you know. So um, I really want to thank you for, you know, even wanting to talk to me about my work. Well, I mean, you're you're. I don't want to say you're prolific because I want you to keep working, but you've just made so much, and you're. I, I just I, I'm I'm so I feel humbled speaking with you because I I really feel that your experiences share and the fact that you're so open to sharing them is really inspiring. Um, and I, I, have to, oh, of, I have to say that a lot of things that I want to say, a lot of people in my life and who care about me say, don't say that. <laughs> right? Don't say that. Don't share that. That'll, that won't be good for this. That won't be good for that. Right? Like, I hear that all the time and I still hear it. Like, why would you want to do that? Um, uh, so, so it's interesting. Like, what we say has power, right? And especially now that things go out there in digital world and they live forever. Like mm -hmm. anything that you've said or thought or, you know, like uh, it's true. And, and I think that's making people less open, less willing to share. Like on, you should say that, you know, social media is just the overshare of, you know, existence. But I, I think, no, I think a lot of people are being very careful these days 
And um, yeah, you know, uh, I think there's two sides. There's two sides of that spectrum. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, then the fact that you're willing to go out there and, and, and speak your truth and, and share that much of yourself with people. And, you know, one of the things that I think is really fascinating with creators such as yourself is how much of yourself you give with all of the work that you do. And that can be so difficult. I mean, as somebody who's a, like more on the private side of things, I can't imagine putting myself up there like that. So the fact that you do this all the time with all of the work that you do is 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 so... Um, it's really, it really is reassuring. It, it's like, a, it's a piece of, it's, it's just the humanity of it. It is so uh, real and authentic and it really comes through in your work. And that kind of leads me to what I wanted to finish with. And one of the things that I always ask creators is, you know, what would you tell the young version of you knowing what you know now? Um, and and I, I kind of feel like that's, that, that always kind of gets at, uh, some minutia of, you know, you've had this amazing career experience and this life experience, but how, what, what would you tell the young version of yourself knowing what you know today? Would you do anything different or would, would you tell young you to keep plowing ahead? Uh, I would definitely tell her to keep plowing ahead, but I would, I would say, you know, just as a human being to get, to get comfortable with discomfort, you know, uh, I always thought that no was a very powerful word when I heard it from other people, because that tells you how much you want something. Are you going to push through no, or is no going to be what you hear, right? But I think we have to listen to ourselves too. Like when we are uncomfortable, when we don't want to do something, that we should explore that a little. Maybe I was a person that just would put something down uh, or go in the other direction. I think that you should feel... I yeah I can't believe I'm saying this it doesn't sound very inspirational <laughs> but it's true get get comfortable with discomfort because there's there's something that's there for you and that was my conversation with Anne Marie Fleming you can find out more about Anne Marie all of her previous work as well as the projects she's currently working on at her website sleepydogfilms.com the Sparkcast is a production of the Spark Computer Graphics Society. Opening and closing credits, as well as additional production support by Michael Edland. For more about Spark CG and our upcoming events, visit sparkcg.org.